This is KCLR's Bottom Line with John Purcell. Brought to you with thanks to O'Neill Foley Accountants, the Southeast's largest independent accountancy practice. www.onf.ie Hello, good morning and welcome to The Bottom Line, the programme for and about business on KCLR. I'm John Purcell with you until 10 o'clock. Thanks to Brian Redmond for the last two hours. The easiest quiz in Ireland rolls over to next week with no winner. Now, I didn't see it myself, but the Late Late Show last evening focused entirely on small Irish business and it was really excellent showcase for those businesses if the positive feedback online is to be believed. Shout out to local businesses, Dialyze Clothing from Castlecomer, local man Paddy Cox uh, wowing the audience. Uh, well done, Paddy. And also, Carlo Company Body Light uh, Runner Belt uh, featuring and being plugged by Anna Geary and that's been uh, the idea of Porrick George so well done to him this morning on the bottom line we'll hear about the mood of the nation in the middle of the lockdown and how changes in lifestyle due to the pandemic are impacting on media habits if you've got a business idea or looking to scale your enterprise we'll be hearing from the South East Business Innovation Centre who've got something you may be interested in Uh, businesses in the cultural sector which are a large contributor to the economy in this area have been massively disrupted we'll be talking to the Chief Executive of Business to Arts and we'll be hearing from a young man from Kilkenny who's in college and who along with a friend has established a new online business for the times that are in it. But first to chat about another tumultuous week even in business and society. I'm joined on the phone by Tom Malloy, Director of Public Affairs and Communications at Trinity College. He's formerly group business editor with INM, ran uh, Bloomberg in Ireland for a while and of course is a former editor of the Kilkenny People. Good morning Tom. It hasn't been an edifying week on the international stage. I'm talking, of course, of the US election. No, it really hasn't, John, has it? It kind of reminds me a little bit of, you know, when you meet uh, a friend, say, and you you only meet them every couple of years for, for whatever reason, um, and you're very shocked. You, 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 you know, last time you saw them, they were okay, but this time they're, they're looking pretty haggard, perhaps a bit overweight, uh, just, and you, and you certainly worry about them. And, and that's the election is a bit like budget day. It's a way of checking in to see how somewhere is. And, and we're checking in with the U.S. And the U.S. is not in not in good condition. It's really uh, it's really extraordinary, actually, to think how bad the last four years have been for America's sense of itself, for American democracy, uh, you know, just just quality of the politicians. You know, it's the the only silver lining I think one can draw from all this is that the Republican Party bigwigs, by and large, have been very quiet and have not backed um, Trump in any way in his ludicrous assertions that he's won the election or anything else. But it's still it's still been, a, as you say, a tumultuous week. Yeah. What do you think? Um, I mean, this isn't a political program. It's a, it's a business program. What do you think are the implications uh, for business, if any? Or do we all focus too much on the likes of Trump and so on? And businesses like the ones I mentioned are just happily getting on with things and the world goes on. Does politics have a relevance anymore? I, I believe politics has huge relevance. Um, and, and, you know, in, in the case of the U.S., maintaining peace is is the starting point. You know, America is one of the few countries that can actually uh, trigger a war uh, that, that would 
that have an impact globally. And most of the recessions that we've had in, in, in my lifetime anyway, started in the United States. So, and, and many of them started for, for political reasons like 9-11 and so on. Uh, so we, we, I think it is, it is relevant. But the, your, your question is a, is a good one. You know, there's a lot of evidence and in fact, it is a fact that what's best for the markets and what's best for business is a divided political system and not the kind of division that we've seen lately, but a division where the Houses of Congress and, and the, House of, uh, the Senate are of a diff- different political persuasion to the president so that you have a cynic might say gridlock or an optimist might say a consensus and you know no party can kind of run away with stupid ideas. And this is what we're going to get. You know, we're going to have a Democratic president, we're going to have a Republican Senate, uh, and uh, you know, a, a Democratic House of Congress, but it, it, it won't be a very strong Democratic House of Congress. And that is probably, and statistically, very good for business, mm. uh, because we'll have a middle-of-the-road type economic policy. There won't be too much borrowing, there won't be too much um, ideology, I guess. So I think <laughs> this could be quite a good uh, quite a good output. But Biden is pro-business. Um, I, I wonder what it's going to do for, for Ireland, though. I, I, I kind of... I, I, it, it, there was definitely an, an anti-tech uh, sentiment in the election this time around. Uh, Trump has you know, pushed it. Now the Democrats have become anti-tech, and there's certainly a worry that companies like Google are too powerful. There's certainly a sense that, that they might be dismantled. And that, of course, could have um, huge knock-on effects for, for our economy. Mm, I was talking to Mark Little last week on the programme, and I was asking him about, did he think the outcome would have um, an impact on on Brexit and Ireland around that route? Because my thinking was the special relationship that you know we, we would more likely have with the Biden from Ireland, um, although Trump has uh, interests in Ireland. Um, and Mark didn't seem to think so. You actually studied in quite a great amount of detail um, the, the the special relationship, quote-unquote, between Ireland and the US and the UK and the US. What kind of perspective and what difference does it make as to who's in the White House? Yeah, it makes a fair amount of difference. Actually, Mark Little wrote a very good book on this topic, and, and I would have thought the conclusion of that book was twofold. That, uh, that it does make a difference, and that Ireland has, and our diplomats have actually uh, done that very well. We've been very good at pursuing the, the national interest. There are very, very few countries in the world uh, that have a regular annual meeting with the U.S. president. And you know, during the peace process, to take one example, uh, was a year where Albert Reynolds met Clinton five times, and John Major, who was the prime minister at the time, only met Clinton once. It's quite extraordinary when you think about it. Mm. Uh, again, when, when Trump came to power, actually, he, he phoned the Taoiseach before he phoned Theresa May. Uh, you know, these kind of things are looked at, and they are political statements. Biden, uh, you know, he was in Dublin very recently. He was actually in Dublin um, uh, getting a degree from Trinity College mm. on on the day that Brexit, Brexit was passed. Ah. Uh, and what's very interesting here is... So, Tom, what did he tell you about Brexit then, the day Brexit was passed? <laughs> he didn't tell me anything. I think the whole world... He was as stunned as the rest of the planet by the outcome that day. But the the uh, the British has sent a senior cabinet minister to D.C. At the moment, he's kind of trawling around, trying to reassure people in the Senate 
uh, and elsewhere that Britain will be flexible in Northern Ireland. Uh, you know, so they've changed their tune already. They see what way the wind is blowing. And uh, I think that's, that's really significant. It's the, the peace process would have been unimaginable without U.S. intervention. It was U.S. intervention. It was decisive, and it was in our favor, and it brought the British to the senses and forced them to the negotiation table. Mm. So I, I, I think, you know, to, to understand what, what, what is different here is there is no Irish-American block of voters anymore. Mm. And that, that, that is over. We, you know, Irish-Americans vote for Trump just as much as they vote for, or vote for the Republicans, I should say just as much as they vote for the Democrats. Yeah, that's an they interesting... They normal t- part of society now. Yeah, yeah. That's it. Uh, it brings me on to the next kind of area of, of discussion, the categorizable groups and research and being careful about thinking you understand the world. Once again, um, the polling in relation to the US election, and it has to be said, the media commentary, which pointed towards uh, a Biden landslide, has been proven wrong. We have to take lessons from that, and, and maybe that has lessons for business. I, I really think it does. <laughs> you know, poll after poll after poll in, 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 in the U.S. was wrong. But, but also we've seen it in this country. We, we, we failed to predict the Nice referendum, the Lisbon referendum. We, we are, you know, it's a very inact, inexact science. In fact, it shouldn't be called a science at all. It's just a very in, inexact uh, way of doing things. And these are with binary questions, you know, simple things like, do you want A or B? Uh, what, what, can, what happens when you try and take the mood of the nation or try and do much more complicated measurements that, that business needs to work out whether to introduce a new product, say, or um, you know, whether to do this and that? I, I, I think we, we really need to ask ourselves whether polling makes any sense at all. Mm, and it, it comes um, down to, we were discussing before we came on air, um, and we <laughs> Henry Ford had a quite interesting insight into it. Yeah, well, Henry, Paul, Paul, Henry Ford even was, I think he said, uh, if I had asked the public what they wanted, they would have asked for a faster horse. And uh, that kind of sums it up, really, doesn't it? That uh, it's very hard to 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 imagine something completely new when you're stopped on the street. And we've all been asked to, to take part in a poll or two uh, over the course of our lives. Or, and, and most of the time, you're just trying to get away from from the pollster and get on with your life and, and you know it's a bit like jury selection these days isn't it people yeah. people a large swathe of the population just get out of these things and don't take part so it's taken from an unrepresentative group I, I think especially at the moment where people are not walking on the streets there's only a certain type of person at the moment who, who's out and about and they're certainly not representative of the public as a whole so, so certainly in relation to opinion polling for elections we need to take with a pinch of salt. Tom, we've got to leave it uh, this week there. Thank you very much for joining us for your very uh, insightful analysis of what's been going on and linking it uh, to business. That was Tom Malloy uh, joining us as he does regularly to chat about what's been going on in the week in business. We're going to take a break and we're coming back and funnily enough we're going to be talking to a man who heads one of Ireland's biggest research companies. Don't go away. The Bottom Line on KCLR with John Purcell. Brought to you in association with O'Neill Foley Accountants. Our website, onf.ie, shows the full range of services we provide to businesses large and small.
Now, Amoric is an Irish research company that uses surveys, focus groups, workshops and social media analysis all aimed at unlocking the future for their clients. The company does research across a really broad cross-section of Irish business and has been working with the Irish government during COVID to see how Irish society is adapting and coping to the huge disruption caused by the pandemic. They've also just released a report called The Future is Local, which examines the impact of the pandemic on local attitudes and media habits. So I thought it would be really interesting to catch up with Jared O'Neill from the company, who's the chairman of Amoric, and I asked him to tell me about the research they've been doing for the Irish government on COVID. Um, what we have been doing since March uh, on a weekly basis has been asking a representative sample of people throughout Ireland about their experience of um, COVID-19, the pandemic. Um, uh, we've asked a whole variety of questions about whether people feel the pandemic is getting better or getting worse. We've asked about whether they, uh, where they're finding news about the pandemic but we've also asked about compliance you know are you washing your hands are you sitting further apart um, and we've asked about people's well-being you know to what extent people feel happy sad worried fearful com- and tracking that over time to see to what extent the emotional fallout of the of public health emergency is impacting on the nation and what are the headline findings uh, that you can clearly see over over a number of months now at this stage I think a few things come through very clearly. First of all, there are, there is a lot of volatility. You know, on a week-by-week basis, we see massive shifts in, for example, the percent of people who think that more restrictions need to be uh, introduced by the government or fewer restrictions need to be introduced by the government. And what we saw was that the initial wave of the pandemic, as it um, abated in May, by the time we got to June, most people were absolutely certain that the worst was behind us, that we could go back to normal. They weren't thinking ahead to a second wave. They certainly weren't thinking ahead to the winter. But as we tracked the research through the summer and, of course, through September and October and now into November, we have seen the mood change quite significantly. Um, But with the introduction of level five restrictions at a a national level only a, a couple of weeks ago, we saw a big change in sentiment from people really worried, really expecting, uh, demanding, in effect, that uh, more restrictions are put in place to stepping back, certainly this week, and saying, OK, well, Level 5 is there to do a job. We'll wait and see how it goes. We don't need further restrictions. Uh, let's see how this works out. So we, we have seen those kind of changes and adjustments happen very, very quickly in the course of the research that we've been doing for the Department of Health. And a very interesting research project because you can link these attitudes, of course, with actually case numbers um, and you have a very real measurement as to how how, uh, it links in with uh, the success of the restrictions and the mood and so on. A very interesting research. It is, and what we find is that, of course, there are very strong correlations between exactly, to your point, John, uh, the number of cases, deaths, of course, um, but also media coverage. So what we tend to find is that when things are getting better, um, both obviously in terms of the headlines, cases and so on, the attention people are paying to news stories about COVID falls very sharply, and we saw that in our tracking research. Um, But... You know, when the news is getting worse, needless to say, we're all that bit more anxious. We do want to find out more. And the number of 
times we listen to the news during the day about COVID tends to go up. So we do see this kind of relationship between mood, media consumption, and of course, the scale of the pandemic uh, playing out over time. Yeah, and on that point of media consumption, you've done some very interesting research for a company called IRS Plus, which uh, this station, KCLR, has an association with. But that was all about the impact of COVID and and the relationship with local media and the future. People's habits have changed so much. Tell us a bit about the um, your findings from that research. Um, I have to say it was one of the most interesting studies we've done so far this year. Um, we talked to over 2,000 people throughout Ireland um, about, obviously, local radio, about their habits and uh, the new realities that we're all facing. One of the things that kind of stood out for me was that, needless to say, the vast majority of people listen to local radio uh, throughout Ireland, but six out of ten of those people listening to local radio are listening more than they used to because of the pandemic. Now, it's not necessarily because they want to hear more news about the coronavirus, perhaps not. What we're finding is that because people are spending more time in their local community, meeting their neighbours at home, um, because of all the things we're familiar with, they want to know more about what's happening locally in their community. And as a result, local radio tends to come through very strongly as the source of news, information, shopping details, all of that stuff stood out in the study. Yeah, we find it very, or have found it very interesting to look at the research and it kind of brought out how, kind of to your earlier point, that people tune in uh, keenly to media at times of crisis. But but not only that, there's a variety of uses, companionship, being cheered up. You know, the, it, it was really interesting talking about the relationship people have with their local media, which is quite a deep relationship. It's very deep. Uh, it's reflected in people's views about you know how they would miss local radio if it wasn't available to them. But I think one of the, the most interesting measures was that we kind of asked people about the tone of local radio, the kind of uh, stories and coverage that you are, are providing there in KCLR and other local radio stations around the country. And what people were telling us in the research everywhere was that they listened to local radio because it's a bit of a break from some of the kind of doom and gloom side of a lot of the national media coverage, which is perhaps unavoidable some of the time. But what they find listening to local radio is that it gives them a little bit more of a sense of hope, of control, of belonging, of uh, the real feeling of we're in this together because it's about their neighbours, it's about the community. Uh, and all of that feeds through to uh, a kind of very positive attitude towards local radio that it's kind of a, it's a, a as I said, a break from some of that kind of national focus, um, but also it's a little bit more empowering. People mm. just like that, welcome that sense of, belonging that they get through local radio. And how did you find uh, the interface between local radio and indeed local media in general with the changed business reality that we now find ourselves in during COVID, working from home, changes in shopping patterns, all that kind of stuff? Well, I think that's that's a pretty important point because uh, in fairness to several local media outlets so for example their local newspapers the free ones or the paid for ones the parish bulletins facebook groups whatsapp groups for your neighborhood all of those are very important in providing people information and keeping them connected and feeling together but 
What we found uh, very strongly in the study was that um, people want the uh, local businesses. They, well, first of all, they want to support local businesses. The shop local thing, it's not just a cliche or a platitude. It's very real. We see it in multiple studies that we're doing, not just in this study for IRS, which is that people do genuinely want to support local. They want to support local retailers that are open at the moment. They want to support local service providers, hospitality, um, cafes, takeaway, all of that. And I think that that kind of tells us that people want local businesses to tell them about what's on offer, to tell them about what's open, what they're doing, their new initiatives, so that they can support local. So it's a win-win it's a, it's a scenario whereby uh, people are consumers and the general public want to shop local. And if they can be told about local opportunities to shop local through the local media, then they will spend their money accordingly. And we're talking very, very large sums of money that people are really interested and enthusiastic about spending in their local communities. Yeah, it's interesting. For many years, we were just hearing about globalisation and, um, you know, how we we're in such a globalised world. I think we're entering into a kind of an era of localisation in many ways, whether it's on the corner of RT television, which says stay local or keep it local uh, and so on. What way have communities changed and adapted uh, over the last couple of months? Well, one of the things that uh, is kind of a standout uh, finding from our report is that people have a much stronger sense of belonging in their local communities. Now, maybe it was always there and it kind of got a little bit worn out or, or weakened uh, in, in recent decades. But what we find is people got to know their neighbours better. 57% um, of people in our survey said they've actually got to know their neighbours better because of the lockdown. 77%, um, three quarters of people in the survey said that there's a stronger sense of community where they live because of the lockdown. And one of the things that kind of stood out was that people, um, they don't want to lose that. Uh, they really feel that that sense of togetherness, that con connection with their neighbours, with their communities in their local towns and villages, they don't want to lose that. Um, it's something that's really important to them. And, you know, it's, it's almost like we've kind of had that very extended holiday experience whereby, you know, you make a resolution not to go back to doing the bad things you used to do when you get back from your holiday. I think that's playing out here. Um, you know, one of the findings from social psychology is that it takes over 60 days, 66 days on average, to be precise, uh, for a habit to be formed to the extent that it's subconscious. We don't think about it anymore. We just do it automatically. Um, that's just over two months. Well, look, we've been in this lockdown or pandemic public health emergency for the best part of eight months at the moment. And so the habits we've formed are just that. They're not habits. They're ingrained. They're not going to change very quickly. And I think it means that all the stuff we're talking about here in terms of people wanting to stay local, shop local, be better informed about what's going on in their communities, they're here to stay. It, it's, it's, as you said, it's, it's kind of the globalization thing has given way to a localization thing. And I think most people welcome, welcome that. That's uh, Gerald O'Neill, who's the chairman of Amorak Consulting, uh, a well-established Irish research company. And I spoke to him during the week. Amorak have been doing, as he was explaining, a weekly research uh, 
programme which is telling uh, the government what Irish people are thinking and feeling as we progress through the pandemic and the company also does a whole really broad cross-section of research which you can see on the website uh, about uh, other different and really interesting stuff and one report that they released as you heard there is called The Future is Local and uh, we read that with great interest here in Casey Law. Good news uh, during the week with uh, news that the Carlo-based company uh, Strive are creating seven new jobs and have also opened a sales office in Poland and Strive is uh, a cloud, a private cloud company and best of luck to Andrew Tobin and everyone involved in that. We hope to talk to Andrew on the programme perhaps next week. Don't forget if you'd like to suggest any company that we should be covering or you have any issues you can email us at the bottom line at kclr96fm.com Com. Coming up, we're going to be talking to Aidan Shine, who's the chief executive of Southeast Business Innovation Centre. The bottom line on KCLR with John Purcell. Brought to you in association with O'Neill Foley Accountants. Our website, onf.ie, shows the full range of services we provide to businesses large and small. You're very welcome back. You're listening to The Bottom Line, the programme for and about business on KCLR. I'm John Purcell with you until 10 o'clock when Edward Hayden takes the seat with the Saturday show and lots of good stuff coming up for him. Now, over the last number of months during the pandemic, we've really been impressed by the number of people who, despite all the challenges, are starting new business because entrepreneurship... uh, keeps going no matter what that uh, defines many great entrepreneurs uh, this year South East BIC uh, celebrates 25 years in business and I'm delighted to be joined on the line by Aidan Shine who's the Chief Executive of South East BIC. Good morning Aidan firstly tell us what BIC stands for Good morning, John. Yeah, the BIC is uh, BIC. It's, it's Business Innovation Centre. So we're the, the Southeast Business Innovation Centre. As you said, we're celebrating uh, or commemorating 25 years in existence this year. And uh, where we where we work with, I suppose, is is with entrepreneurs and startups throughout the Southeast region. So we've been working with over two and a half thousand entrepreneurs and startups since we started back in 1995. That's amazing. Yeah. And and tell us the types of businesses that you've worked with. Yeah, so ideally, um, we're we're a not-for-profit organisation and we're funded by Enterprise Ireland to work with innovative startups in in the region. So we work very closely with our other stakeholders like the local enterprise office and and Enterprise Ireland. So we would focus in on companies that are uh, innovation-led and want to grow and scale uh, from the very start of their business plans that they want to grow outside the region, outside Ireland. Mm. Now, I suppose any business or any organisation won't really survive by just looking back and you're looking forward to the next 25 years and you're com- commemorating uh, your 25th year by looking forward rather than clapping yourself on the back for all you've done. Tell us about how you're going to mark the 25th. Yeah, indeed. When we were discussing in in house amongst the team, how do we how do we celebrate our, our twenty five years? We will have a an element of looking back at, at success stories and all the rest of it. But we thought the best way of doing it is is to look forward and say, okay, how do we how do we engage with the the next generation of entrepreneurs and startups? So to that end, we're we're hosting a, a pitching competition. So we're inviting uh, applications from from startups, entrepreneurs and companies in, in the Southeast region. It's a very, very small application form to send that in to us and we'll shortlist and we'll invite three companies to pitch during our, our celebration um, session on the, on the 26th of November. 
And we have some nice prizes as well, cash prizes, um, some iPads, uh, some free mentoring and incubation space as well to go to the winners. Yeah. Now, a lot of people would be familiar with the whole concept of a pitch, I suppose, from something like the Dragon's Den or one of those TV Mm. stations. What are you looking for in a pitch? Yeah, so it, it dovetails very nicely. Uh, we, we manage the, the Halo Business Angel Network here in the southeast as well. So our, our daily work with, with clients, they're, they're constantly pitching to our panel of investors looking for investment. So in, in a pitch, I suppose, it's it's somebody who can articulate what, what problem they're solving, uh, who their customers are. Uh, what their solution they're providing to those customers and how they will sell to those customers how will they generate revenue they're the big three or four key areas that we like to see in any good pitch yeah and uh, how do you uh, mark the level of pitching really i suppose because it's a very important skill because if you don't get the the attention of potential investors etc you can be stuck with no investment Absolutely, and and be under no illusion, I suppose, John, as well. Getting investment is is one of the hardest things to do. We always say that our clients getting a first customer is difficult, but then when the business grows, getting that first investor on board can be just uh, just as as difficult. We we always say that um, if if at the end of a pitch there are more questions still out there than than have been answered during the pitch, then that's a problem. Uh, a good pitch also the the presenter gives a nice warm fuzzy feeling that they know what they're talking about that they can answer any questions put to them at the end of the pitch that they have domain knowledge in the sector that they're operating in uh, and that gives a, a comfort uh, feeling to uh, to any potential investors yeah it's an interesting um debate around the whole thing of what's the most important thing investors look for is it the actual idea or is it the person with the idea it, presumably it's a balance or what's your view on that yeah it, it's it's a balance but based on research that we've done in the halo business angel network um oftentimes investors back the promoter they back the team that's presenting the idea so uh, oftentimes even if it's a great idea and there's any doubt in in the investor's head that oh this person will not deliver on it or won't, won't take it forward then they'll pass on the opportunity or sometimes they might see an opportunity that's less glamorous let's say um, but the team is, is a really, really good team and, and they'll back the team. So I would say uh, the team is pretty much uh, at the top of the list for a lot of investors. And just an important thing to emphasise about your uh, pitch competition or your startup competition, you're also looking for businesses under five years to sk- that are interested in scaling up. Just tell us about that. Yeah, so um, we think that our focus in, in, in the BIC is very much uh, in, the, in the startup space. There's lots of successful companies out there who've been operating for a number of years. So we thought with the pitching competition, we'd focus in on, on the younger companies. So we said if you're less than five years old and you do have ambition to, to grow a business and to scale a business, maybe to look at, at, at exporting. Um, and we're not saying we're, we're totally focusing on technology. It's uh, We can look at technology, food, there's a whole variety of sectors that we work with but the it's the it's getting across the ambition so if you're less than five years old uh, and you're looking to grow and scale a business then we'd invite we'd invite applications for for, for our pitching competition that's uh aiden shine there who's the uh, uh ceo of southeast bic talking about their pitching competition and if you'd like to find out more you can log on to southeastbic.ie or you can email them at info at southeastbic.ie and uh do uh 
get your skates on because I think the closing date of for that competition is quite soon. A couple of texts in from a listener called Mark uh, who references my chat with uh, Tom Malloy earlier. He said, stunned over Brexit. Well, that's the trouble with political el- elites not looking what was really going on. You simply got Brexit because the UK voted leave. Wake up. Thanks, Mark. And thank you, Mark, for your uh, text into the station. I think Tom's point was uh, to everybody uh, is to be careful about thinking you understand the world because uh, nobody understands the world and everybody can make misjudgments. Um, and that's the way it goes. Now, we're moving on. We're going to talk about business and the arts. And Business to Arts is an organisation that works with businesses and brokers partnerships and enables support between businesses, individuals and the arts and I'm delighted to be joined on the line by Andrew Hetherington who's the Chief Executive of Business to Arts. Good morning Andrew. Good morning John. How are you? And uh, it's a very very difficult time for people working in the arts. Just tell us about the impact that um, I almost said Brexit but uh, Covid has had uh, on, on the sector. Yeah it's, uh, it's an unprecedented time across many sectors but in the arts and cultural sector um Restrictions at every level of the five-step framework impact the cultural sector. So venues throughout our country are closed, um, galleries, museums, and people who are employed by them are uh, are out of work or working off-site. And that means that the opportunity for people to engage with their local cultural organisation are very restricted and will be until um, we are outside of the level five framework. But that has knock-on impact on on individuals that are working in the cultural sector as well. Huge impact uh, in terms of employment. And there's about 55,000 people employed across Ireland in the arts and cultural sector as well as the live entertainment sector. So if you think about all of the festivals and events that happen across our island as well as our more traditional cultural sector, you can see the scale of the challenge that's that's facing us. And across, yeah, and, and across Carlo Kilkenny, we have many such in institutions ranging from visual to the Butler Gallery to you know um, museums, the the Medieval Mile Museum, so as well as artists who can't show their work uh, and so on. What kind of work does Business to Arts do in normal times? So in normal times, our our job is to work with uh, companies in how they may choose to give money or to support or to work with the arts and cultural sector in sponsorship and other uh, activities. One of our kind of most recent high-profile um, announcements is with Bank of Ireland. We've announced a €1 million Euro fund uh, for the uh, cultural sector to apply to, and it provides funding for artists and arts projects that are looking to adapt because of COVID-19, but also maybe going through a phase where they're creating new work that might be part-inspired or inspired by some of the events of the last six to eight months. Yeah, and you run an awards scheme as well. Just tell us about some of the things uh, that that your organisation feels it's important to actually recognise that people are doing. Yeah, our, our, our key message as an organisation is the importance of supporting our cultural uh, sector and also to encourage the private sector in all of the ways that it can to support and to work with the cultural sector. Um, and that's 
hugely significant this year and, and a message that we're trying to get far and wide. But our awards are our flagship event and programme to drive awareness of how companies and individuals are supporting the arts across the island. And in Kilkenny and Cardo, there's great examples that have won our awards. Um, the Butler Gallery and Cartoon Saloon have won and then the Kilkenny McDonough Junction Shopping Centre has also won with artist Annie Mullerow uh, around a commission for the Famine Memorial there. But that's two examples. That's a, a company commissioning an artist and then two creative organisations working together on exceptional uh, exhibitions that attract audiences from around the country to Kilkenny. But what we would love to be able to do is celebrate and share and uh, also to promote all of the different ways that companies might be engaging with the arts and cultural sectors. So our awards showcase great use of creativity in the workplace and the community, sponsorship relationships of all different types and at different scales. And then we look to find very great examples of philanthropy and widespread investment in the arts from, from the private sector. Yeah, so presumably, uh, and not to be negative, but in, in tough economic times, and we know here from Casey Law ourselves, sponsorships, uh, they're in the firing line to be given the chop. What's the experience um, in the arts sector this year? Yeah, uh, we've we've done some research into uh, the impact, and it's it's not surprising to know that certain sectors are having to step back from sponsorship activity. But there are other sectors in Ireland that are are doing pretty well in uh, the current climate and are seeing growth in business. And part of our job is not only to encourage those that may never have uh, supported or sponsored or worked with the arts to do that, but then to recognise those that may be increasing their investment at the moment. And we're in this uh, kind of unusual two-tier uh, or two-phase uh, kind of response to COVID-19 where, yes, there is huge contraction and it is worrying for the retail and the tourism sector and how they may work with the arts and cultural sector. But there's many other sectors that um, are having less of an impact as a result of COVID-19 and the opportunity to support the arts or potentially the the time to dip their toe in the water and to do that and be seen to to support local community organisations as they try to adapt to COVID-19 is a good time to do that. Andrew, the closing date for applications to your awards is the 16th of December. How can people find out more or better still apply uh, to your awards scheme? Yeah, um, our, uh, we hope it's a relatively straightforward and intuitive process. If you go to business2arts.ie forward slash awards, you will be brought to our online application process. It's uh, a couple of steps where you describe the projects that you're involved with um, and we'll ask you a couple of questions about them and then once you've completed that, you have submitted. And uh, if there's any complications, our contact details are on our website and there'll be a member of our team to help them or whoever is applying and we hope we get a great response from Carlo and Kilkenny. Okay, Andrew, we leave it there. Thank you very much for joining us and uh, well done to you and all involved in the arts uh, for providing us all with a great outlet and a, a relief during these tough times. That was Andrew Hetherington, Chief Executive of Business to Arts. Coming up, we're going to be talking to a young entrepreneur who's started a new website. The Bottom Line on KCLR with John Purcell. Brought to you in association with O'Neill Foley Accountants. Our website, onf.ie, shows the full range of services we provide to businesses large and small. 
Stay tuned to Casey Lawrence D. John Purcell with you on the bottom line until 10 o'clock when the great Edward Hayden will take over the hot seat to keep you entertained until 12 o'clock and then we'll have sport and lots of great music during the day and I was listening to that promo for Saturday Scoreline earlier on and wouldn't it really put a pep in your step when you hear the passion uh, and the energy involved in the sport. Now we were talking about entrepreneurs earlier on in the programme and people starting new businesses and I'm delighted to be joined on the line by Liam Patrick Kennedy who's a Kilkenny City student uh, who is actually starting a new business. Good morning Liam Patrick. Good morning John, how's it going? Very well, thanks. Tell us about your brainwave. Uh, yeah, so I've started an online website for local businesses here in Kilkenny. So it's a one-stop shop for all local businesses like Graham Shoes, Hennessy Sports, SNS Music, Pure Kids, Hurley Depot, Washshed, here by Nigel, Catwalk of Kilkenny and Cannes Books. Yeah, of course. So you go on, sorry. You shop online in one go. Yeah, because so there's a huge... Check out all of them without worrying about it. Yeah, so there's a huge move uh, online because, of course, uh, many shops are closed. Uh, tell us about the process of setting up the business. Uh, yeah, so we set up the business, myself and uh, school friend Brian Manning, uh, over the summer. And we've been working on it ever since, helping businesses to set up online. And we've worked with some businesses that have already been trading online and others who have no history at all. Mm. So we've been working with them to show them how to sell online and take orders as well. Yeah, and uh, you're a law student, if I'm not mistaken. How did you get into creating websites and all that kind of stuff? Yeah, well, it's um, myself and Brian, we've both just had an interest in computers. So when we were young, we joined the Coded Ojo in Kilkenny for a few years and worked away together and... Just we've always had an interest in computers, kind of, and working away. And then Brian does uh, computer design in in the Masters in UCD now. Mm, and so Brexit... Uh, between the two of us, we have a good bit. Uh, and COVID, I, I said Brexit because of a text in about Brexit. Uh, COVID has um, provided a bit of a spur to you. Uh, yeah, it definitely has. Like It's pushed some businesses that weren't online before to consider it now, and it's uh, helping us to kind of just have more interest on the online shopping but we're just trying to make sure people have an option to shop local rather than go to Amazon or any of the other big sites that aren't in Ireland. And how, what's your business model? How do you, uh, Kilkenny Marketplace, make uh, revenue? Um, yeah, well, it's pretty simple enough. Like, it's free for businesses to be on and everything but it's just if there is a sale on the site we get a small commission kind of a each order just like 2%. So that's about it. Yeah, and uh, what's the reception been like uh, to the business? Yeah, um, everybody's been really interested in it and said that they really like it, whether it's the businesses that we've spoken to or if it's the customers either saying that like, they want to shop local but they just never knew where to go before when they wanted to shop online. And we hope that this gives them a chance to do so. Yeah, uh, and uh, obviously uh, you've got some web design skills. Are you uh, turning those into revenue streams as well? Uh, yeah, we have done that as well. So some of the businesses that have been working with us on our site now, we've also helped design bits of their websites for them and develop that as well and work with other stuff that they have to do just for when they're selling online with their own websites too. Yeah, and uh, how are you finding it? Uh, you know, when people think of online uh, in the past, they'd immediately think of Amazon. It's a very, um, 
competitive environment. Uh, but we've been talking a lot about localization on the program, and people want to support local. Have you been positively received? Uh, yeah, we really have. Like we've had um, shop on the Instagram and Facebook, like shop local and shop Kilkenny. Those hashtags have helped us to be seen by a few people, and uh, people checking out the Instagrams of the local shops too have they've seen us on it, and that's helped drive the traffic to us. Because I think people definitely are searching out for a different way to shop yeah. and to support all the local businesses now, especially now. Yeah, where do you where do you see yourself going with this, Liam Patrick? Um, chucking in your your studies and becoming a Mark Zuckerberg, or <laughs> you know what path forward do you see? Yeah, well, we, like, I think it's not too bad now this year with the online lectures. It means I can study whenever in my spare time and work when I need to as well. So it's, it's actually made it a bit easier for me to balance the two. But I definitely like to go and do build it for all of the shops in Kilkenny so that everybody can be on, so it makes it easier to be found. Uh, but then maybe even move beyond Kilkenny and have one for the other counties too and a national one to make it easier to shop. Uh, with all shops just that are Irish especially. Yeah, and uh, if people are interested and they like the cut of your jib and, and the idea, uh, your website is kilkennymarketplace.ie. How can they contact you or what's the best way to progress getting in touch? Uh, yeah, so we on our website we have a My Account page and that gives you all the information on how to contact us. And then we also have our Instagrams and Facebooks and we're actually running a competition as well at the moment for on the Instagram for... Uh, 50 euro voucher for any of the shops on the website. So that's fantastic. Well, well done, uh, Liam Patrick. Good to talk to you and good to get to talk to the next generation of young entrepreneurs coming through. And best of luck to you uh, with your new business venture. That's Liam Patrick Kennedy telling us about KilkennyMarketplace.ie. Good morning, Liam Patrick. That's about all we've got time for this week on The Bottom Line. Remember, if you have any comments or ideas you'd like to get to us, you can email The Bottom Line at KCLR. If you'd like to listen back to this show or any episode of The Bottom line just search for uh, the bottom line KCLR on Apple Store, Google Play or Spotify uh, a question in from a listener, does he feel that Brexit could be an advantage or disadvantage selling to the UK if the UK has a no deal free trade policy, that's a question presumably directed at Tom Malloy, he's gone from us this morning but I can discuss with that again I do know from talking to a lot of people that there's a lot of feelings of foreboding uh, aside from the political aspects which Mark, our listener, uh, said this morning, which was basically they voted uh, wake up. That's just the way it is. There are a lot of apprehensive business people who are looking at the weeks ahead. But that's another story and we'll cover it again at a later date. Thanks to all my guests this morning. Tom Malloy, Gerard O'Neill, Aidan Shine, Andrew Hetherington and Liam Patrick Kennedy. Thanks to Deirdre Drummy who produced the programme. Edward Hayden is up after the news at 10 until next Saturday morning, just after 9 and hopefully the bottom line will be back with more business stories. Have yourself a good w- day and a good weekend. Have a good week. Don't forget to keep your distance, wash your hands and wear a mask. Do take care. Goodbye for now. The Bottom Line on KCLR with John Purcell. Brought to you in association with O'Neill Foley Accountants. Our website, onf.ie shows the full range of services we provide to businesses large and small.